Welcome to the Sandbox. Welcome to the Sandbox Cooperative Podcast. I'm Chris. And I'm Dave. Thanks for joining us today. We are just four days away. Four days. We've been talking about it forever, too. For this road trip. Uh, We got some great, exciting stuff coming up, some great conversations. We're going to start off in Albuquerque, New Mexico. And uh, we've been talking a little bit the last few episodes. Uh, We had a schedule and everything lined up. We were planning to talk with Richard Rohr, and unfortunately, uh, just due to some uh, reasons outside of our control and outside yeah. of his control. Um, he actually had to cancel the rest of his calendar for the month. So unfortunately, we're not going to be able to do that. But yeah, we're going to be able to connect with all kinds of people in, in Albuquerque and on the road on our way to Houston for the ELCA Youth Gathering. Yeah. And then once we get there, we've got uh, some other great organizations and people to connect with. Um, and maybe some of our listeners, maybe some of you will be there too. And we'll be able to connect with you and, and meet you face to face if we haven't met before or see you again. And we're looking forward to that. Yeah, we have over almost 20 scheduled interviews ready to go. Yeah. Lots of great organizations, great yeah. stories. Uh, uh, we can't wait to share them with you when yeah. we get back. No, absolutely. But for today's episode, we've had uh, several just fascinating conversations with professional communicators over the past month or mm-hmm. so. It's been fun. They've come through he- our, our studio here at the National Sandbox Global Global, Headqu- global National and Global Headquarters here in Rochester, Minnesota. It, and it's Basically, our our thought is this. In our contentious society, it seems like we really have no idea how to share our thoughts, our ideas, our fears, hopes, and dreams. And our question is this, how can we do it better? So over the next few months, we'll be sharing some of these conversations with you. And today we want to introduce you to Karen Ortloff. Karen is a psychologist with a powerful insight into good communication. We are excited to welcome her into the sandbox. So with that, here is episode 66, The Communication Struggle is Real, part one. Hi, my name is Karen Ortloff, and I'm a licensed psychologist working at Blue Stem Center here in Rochester, Minnesota. Great. Thanks. So... Karen, in, in in your professional world, uh, why do the words you choose and the way that you communicate matter? What, what role does that all play in, in, in your work? Well, words and language are very important in the counseling room. Mm-hmm. As a psychologist, we are working with healing relationships and and bad feelings. And the words are actually, the language is actually the vehicle of that communication. So their tone of voice, their exact words that they use, um, the inflection, the body language, all are ways of communicating um, the level of success and status of that relationship. Mm -hmm. And we want that to be healthy and good. And you model that in 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 your role uh, for the for the clients that you're working with. Well, that is the hope. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> that is the hope that I could model it and be uh, uh, give them an example of words to use mm-hmm. and non-verbally also how to respond to one another more neutrally mm-hmm. instead of so emotionally or negatively or aggressively. Do you find that you spend a lot of time? helping people find the right words. I mean, would you say that that's a, a decent amount of, of that role is finding well, those right words? That's a great question. Actually, I think most clients feel like the words are the most important thing. Hmm. So when I'm speaking, they say, 
great, say that again. I'm going to write this down. Or they take out their phone and they're going to write exactly what I've said. And the reality is if they use their own words and use good eye contact and nonverbal and they're sincere about what they're saying, their message will be received very well. And aside to this is uh, psychologist Albert Morabian, um, I think it was in the mid-60s, he coined this equation of communication. And he weighted nonverbal uh, behavior language, mm-hmm. nonverbal language, as 55% of the uh, conversation and about 38% goes to tone of voice, that only leaves 7% to the words. Now, this has been misinterpreted a lot. It's really only in communication between people when you're talking about feelings and attitudes. Hmm. So it's not every communication. If I was in the business world and my boss wanted the annual review, he's interested in my content of profits more than if I'm smiling while I say it. (laughs) But most of us... If we're talking to our partners or our children or colleagues, we are talking about feelings and attitudes. And so keeping in mind those three aspects, I think, are really important. And we do talk about that quite a bit in therapy. Yeah. Okay, I was going to come up with a question. As soon as you said that, I, I, all I could think of was my, <laughs> my daughter's this morning, whose body language... <laughs> was definitely communicating things to me. <laughs> <laughs> oh, shoot. Um. Uh, there's three things I think I, I want people to understand about what I've learned in almost 30 years in the therapy room regarding how they communicate. And one is most of communication that falters is due to poor listening Hmm. much more than it is using the right words. Good listening involves staying tuned in Hmm. and not going into your head and figuring out your rebuttal or your response. Hmm. Hmm. And that happens a lot. A wife will say something and you can see the husband's voice or eyes go somewhere else. He stopped <laughs> listening because he's he's preparing his right. rebuttal or vice versa. That's funny. I have no idea what she's talking about. <laughs> <laughs> so I think the skill of listening, we listen five times faster than we can speak. So if I can speak at 120 words a minute, you can listen at 600 words a minute. That's a lot of stuff going on up mm-hmm. here. What are you doing with all that? Right. No pressure, Pastor. Right, <laughs> right, right. Yeah, you know, we're, the way we multitask with anything, uh, think about, you know, people, you know, not that I've ever done this before, uh, <laughs> talking on the phone and on Facebook or right. on the phone and watching TV and writing something. And yeah, yeah. Yeah, people don't understand that multitasking is uh, not really accurate. We, we can do more than one thing at a time, 
but we can't tune into that. Our brain is capable of focusing on one thing at a time. Our mind is amazing, but we can only consciously do one thing at a time. So I can talk on the phone to somebody and be doing dishes and be communicating to somebody with my hand gestures, Mm. but I am not listening to that person when I'm communicating non-verbally with someone else at the same time. So we have to be much more respectful and in tune to how we listen. So that's one thing. There's really a lot of poor listening. But what you're, but what you're talking about in that is, is something that's completely countercultural. Like right. you, you, when, when right. people are in, in the therapy room with you, uh, you're teaching them a, a completely different culture, a completely different way of being from the way we function generally and as a culture, but then also with the, with the culture of that relationship that they've, they've established. Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. In, in this culture, we're, you know, it's at a fast pace mm-hmm. and we all try and do too much at once. It's not good for our brain, but I'll tell you, it's very harmful to our relationships. Mm-hmm. And that was, that's the most important thing to me in that counseling space and in real life, I think. So another area that I see a lot of is that when people are talking, they do listen to the words, but they focus in and hone in on the words, and they really miss the most important part of the message sent from the messenger, which is really the feelings underneath the words. We should always pay attention to the feelings underneath the words. If a wife tells her husband, please don't use me in your, your jokes, um, I'm, I'm humiliated, I'm embarrassed, it's not funny to me. Well, he could hone in on the words and say, well, you know, I didn't mean anything by that. You know, that'd be one response. Or, you know, another response would be have a sense of humor, which is kind of a defensive response. Mm-hmm. But if he honed into his feeling, her feelings, He could respond and say, I see it's really important to you that I not embarrass you by using you with my humor. I'm sorry I won't do that next time. You know, that's a whole different response. Mm -hmm. But he totally got the message. And for people who talk back and forth, what's really rare is to be heard and understood. Mm -hmm. It is such a fabulous feeling when someone responds and they understand your feelings and the real message. It's like you don't even have to say anything else. It just feels so good to be heard and understood because that isn't happening most of the time. Right, that's a rare thing. Even between parents and kids, yeah, you know, yeah. teachers and students. It's, it's everywhere. We're just not tuning in. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um. <clears throat> What kinds of skills have you learned uh, over the years, whether it's professionally or just personally? What kinds of skills have you learned that have helped you communicate better with others? What kind of specific things? Um, well, I guess the, the first skill I think is most important is listening. So to learn how to listen, but also to tune into someone's nonverbal, their tone of voice, their... Um, their words, and to ask questions. When you communicate, you're not just making statements. And that's what a lot of people do. They just make statements. Communication is really asking questions to keep that conversation going, to clarify, to understand. So 
the skill of communication, you know, there's a lot of things that go into it. It can be very complex. There's a whole study in science of it. But from a very practical standpoint, mm-hmm. being really tuned in to all those areas when you're talking to somebody, I would say would make you an effective communicator. And that's and that's those skills are honed over a, a lifetime. Yeah, I mean, they are. You know, yes. listening for crying out loud. <laughs> um, that you can have days that you do it well and days that you don't. And um, right, you the, know. the surprising thing is. Communication is very sloppy in our culture and between people. And it surprises me, and I I witness this daily, how unsuccessful people are in their communication, yet they do those same things over and over again Mm -hmm. instead of saying, what am I doing wrong? What can I learn? Um, We're a stubborn people. (laughs) (laughs) And oftentimes communication becomes how you have to justify how you're right. Hmm. instead of um, really trying to understand the other person. And I think that is one of the most significant parts of communication is putting your feet in someone else's shoes. You cannot have a successful relationship until you understand the other person's version. And everyone's version is valid. Everyone's feelings are actually valid and to be non-judged. But the discussion doesn't end there. You still have to negotiate and solve the problem mm-hmm. in the middle somewhere where you both have agreement. And, and that, that's kind of the third thing that I've witnessed over the years is people have conflicts. And conflict is a normal part of life. But they don't solve it. They talk and talk and talk about it. And then they walk away, and then they have the same problem resurface because they never came to a mutual agreement about what are we going to do about that. Mm -hmm. And that's what makes relationships feel so hopeless is when you are in a relationship with someone and you have chronic problems with them. It's only because you haven't solved them. It's not the person problem, but you have to communicate with people and solve problems, and then they don't keep coming up. And that's a very exhilarating feeling. It's almost like you want to have another conflict because it felt so good good (laughs) to solve it. That's how rare it is. (laughs) I I just, no, I'm I'm just thinking about, about, I I guess I never thought about uh, a counselor as kind of a um, communication mechanic, you know, just like. Right, it can be. Finding those problems and then just kind of working with it, right? Right. Uh, as a as a counselor, I think the relationship is always the most important thing. People think it's diagnosis and how do we treat a diagnosis. Um, but really, most people are happy and not anxious and not depressed when they're communicating well, when they're solving problems, when they're having good relationships. So it's very core to every issue mm-hmm. that walks in the office. And we've just talked about external communication. I think what's Mm -hmm. equally important, and it may sound odd, is internal communication, your self-talk. What you're telling yourself can be so damaging. And your self-talk is the driver to your your mood, your self-esteem, and actually your actions. And I love it because it's biblical. In Proverbs, it says, you know, 
as a man thinks, so is he. And that's very true. We're like a computer. Everything that comes in our brain, that's, that's all that will come out. And mm-hmm. if, if it's all negativity, if it's all self-shame, if it's all blame and critique, you're not going to have, you're not going to feel good about yourself and others. And you're going to put that on that, on that, you're going to put that on everyone else. I just, when you, right. when you talk about self-talk, I, I just think of the tapes that run in your head. Exactly. Just the constant uh, Hundreds, loop. thousands of them a day. Yeah. And people are unaware. So when they come in the room and I start asking them, what are you telling yourself? Mm-hmm. What do you believe about yourself? Where do you get stuck in your thinking? It's shocking how negative people are about themselves. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And there's a lot of negativity in the culture right now. Mm-hmm. Do you feel like that that drives more of that than than maybe we might expect? That it's actually less of the external problems and it's more of the internal problems that maybe drive some of our relationship challenges? Or do you? I don't, how do you see that? Uh, well, clearly it's both. It's interesting that you ask that question. I, I'd like to put a percentage on it, but I I, I don't dare step out without thinking through that more thoroughly. (laughs) But I would say that much of the therapy that goes on in my room, whether it's marital therapy, whether it's therapy for anxiety or depression, is called cognitive behavioral therapy. And what that is, is you change your brain by thinking differently. So you assess how you think and those messages you're giving yourself. And you ask yourself, is that true? If it's not true, okay, we're going to change it to something that's true and productive. Oh, my gosh, what a relief. And it it has to come from someone else. They don't believe it themselves. Mm -hmm. But if I tell them that isn't true, that's a lie, you have no evidence of that. I see no evidence of that. Let's change that to something that's believable for you, but that's true and productive. And it actually, there's a lot of research on this, it actually changes your brain chemistry. Mm, mm. So is that like the, the, um, would that be a mantra that you give them? Is that the idea? Like a a statement that you would say, you know, like tell yourself that is, that is true, uh, that replaces the the tape, the negative tapes? Yeah, yeah. You know, I, I at that point insist that they practice the positive, accurate, productive statement, and let's do that. And until you do that many times and out loud for 30 days, hmm. it isn't changed yet. Hmm. Can you imagine how much discipline that takes? <laughs> yeah. But if you understand that, it is magical. Because for anyone who's in the new year who tries to lose weight, if they knew they could say, I can be fit, for 30 days, internally and externally, out loud, their brain will shift and create a behavior that makes that happen. <laughs> but how long does it happen usually that they're on that diet in the new year or that they can say that? It's a very brief period of time. Yeah. So change isn't always easy, but we have some answers. And that's why therapy is nice because they keep coming in and they come in long enough that they get it and then transformation can actually mm-hmm. take place. And that's very exciting. Hmm. Yeah. So you have the external and the internal self-talk that are both very important for people to understand. Yeah. 
over the years, you must have have some just some experiences where you just you've seen success and you've seen yeah. stuff come together that just must be so rewarding for you. Right, right. You know, it's in this amount of time. Uh, you know, I, I'm feeling pretty old. I'm, <laughs> I, I, I'm looking near retirement here, yeah. but it is such a fulfilling and humbling profession. Um, it's hard. It's kind of hard to let go. But in the time that I've sat there when I was new, this Christian therapist, when I started, and I realized so quickly, like the first day, that who am I to help these people? Who am I? that I would have answers for other people. I don't. I facilitate, Mm -hmm. you know. um, But I have witnessed how awful people can be to one another, how insensitive people can be to one another, and how women and men have survived just horrible abuse and come out of that and done so well. And seeing transformations take place within individuals and families and marriages, it's, it's very exciting. And it's exciting for people. And when they come in and they say it's hopeless, I say, well, how come you came in then? Mm-hmm. You know, I'm not in a field of hopelessness. I'm not here because I don't think change can't happen. I'm here because I believe in you and I know change can happen. And I'll work together with you to make that happen. And so instilling hope is is part of it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Hmm. So you've been doing this work for a long time. What kinds of, are, are there new things that you're seeing about the way that people are learning to communicate? That's a great question, Chris. <laughs> <laughs> you know, in, in the time I've been in therapy, I am seeing a huge shift. Just in the field of communication itself, let's just address that. Uh, over a hundred years ago, the the phone was invented, and now we could communicate, but we couldn't see each other. So if we look at the nonverbal, um, the tone of voice, and the verbal, we have taken away thirty percent of our ability to understand the message. But we still have a tone of voice mm-hmm. and uh, the words. Then. A hundred years later, I don't know if it was in the 70s, um, the personal computer came. And okay, now we're emailing each other. So now we've taken away the tone of voice. Now we're only left with communicating words. And what complicated that more is the cell phone. And how are we doing that? We're not emailing, we're texting. And texting is a shortcut of words. And I don't know about you guys, but autocorrect is a nightmare. (laughs) (laughs) It makes understanding the message really confusing. So the changes in communication have made us trying to understand each other much more challenging. Mm. And people don't know how to write, spell, because they're not doing that anymore. They're not sending letters anymore. And the little help that they've tried to engender to help you understand is emojis. So (laughs) they'll throw in an emotion to kind of give you a hint of what they're trying to say. But if I 
spoke to someone like you guys, and I said, boy, I really enjoyed my time at the dentist this morning. <laughs> I mean, by my body language and tone, you could tell that was a bit sarcastic. But if I emailed or text that to someone, boy, I had a good time at the dentist this morning, you know, the message is lost. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so it seems like there's probably, I mean, I think a lot of reasons why we tend to be pretty, I think, amped up a little bit and, and there's a lot of conflict in our culture and, and it's maybe harder to mm-hmm. have good conversation with people. Um, but do you see do you see that as one of the major reasons and, and do you see other external factors that drive a lot of the questions people have? And how do you help them how do you help them um, sort of work through those conflicts where it seems like there's maybe more sources of conflict today? Well, you know, I'll share with you. In 30 years, I profoundly witnessed a huge shift in our culture emotionally. And that happened on 9-11. Before 9-11 the people in our country felt pretty safe, pretty confident, because we were surrounded by the oceans and, of course, Canada and Mexico. But when 9-11 happened, in people's psyche, they realized anyone could come in here and use our own stuff against us, and we are no longer safe. So from the therapy chair, that was the beginning of a complete escalation of anxiety in our culture. Uh, Geographically, there's different reasons, uh, jobs or loss of farming or or whatever, that uh, geographically uh, people might be stressed. But fairly universally in our country, we are very anxious. We have very high expectations. Things aren't working out like we thought. Finances aren't working out. Young people and students are asked to do so many things. And with social media and the ability to communicate in ways that are um, destructive and public, the adds the anxiety of I'm, I'm losing control. I can't control, and that's really the important part of not feeling anxious is the sense like I have control. So when you don't have control, um, that's a scary thing for people. And I, I think it's, it's a lot of different reasons why people are anxious. But I, I think we need as parents and church folks and adults to really assess those, those things because what I'm also seeing then is uh, an increase in addictions of all kinds, and especially technology. Mm-hmm. And it's called, it actually has a term, nomophobia. What's that? It, it actually means no mobile phone. But you're, you're anxious. It's this huge anxiety you have when you're out of reach of your cell phone. Hmm. When it's not there, you're losing your battery, you're in a location where you don't get internet, there is an extreme anxiety. And outside of my office, I have a sign. You have to shut off your cell phone and put it away before you come in. And they don't. They're holding on to it. Or they have it on the couch next to them. Or they'll put it in their backpack and keep it on. And then if it goes off with a text, they say, oh, excuse me, I'll turn it off. And they go in their backpack, send a message, and then come back. 
So, you know, I, you see this thing that drives people, that they have to be constantly communicating for these young folks. And I ask why. And they say, because people think I'm stuck up if I don't respond right away. Or I might miss something. Mm-hmm. Fear of missing out. Yeah, you're missing mm-hmm. out. Yeah, yeah. It, it always feels to me like uh, what I imagine the Wild West to be. Come mm-hmm. in, you put your gun on the table, and then you, ha- you know. <laughs> and everybody comes in, and they put their you know, their phones down on the table, and, you know, it's, it's saunter in and do their thing. But I, to me, it's it's easier to communicate sometimes with the person, you know, across the country than the person across the table uh, mm-hmm. at that at that point. And exactly. We're becoming a little anxious about the face-to-face contact, mm-hmm. the eye-to-eye, and it's easier to text and to leave messages. And they're kind of shocked when someone answers, like, oh, I didn't want them to answer. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 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 No, it's a whole it's a whole new challenge for for communication. I wonder and, and maybe you have a, a sense of this, but I wonder if, you know, we don't write long form letters anymore no. like we did in the day. Um, I wonder if we'll get better at, at, at the text, at, at writing text, at writing words to communicate our feelings out of, out of blatant necessity. Well, I think I fear we're never going to go back. I would like to go back and start over sometimes. Mm. But I think you're right. I think where we are, it's only going to be more this way. So we need to educate ourselves and our children about how to be sensitive, how to communicate effectively, briefly, concisely, concretely, respectfully. Um, I, I don't understand texting in reams and reams of communication. I just stop. Just email me. <laughs> and please edit, you know. But it's texting is very impulsive. So I would want people to think first about what you want to say and what is your emotions when you're texting. Mm-hmm. Because there's a lot of impulsive communication over text and social media, which is very damaging. And 24 hours later, you didn't mean that. But now now there's deep trouble. Right. <laughs> and you've humiliated people. And adults and young people both have killed themselves over that kind of communication that's very damaging to them and their internal self. Yeah. So, yeah, I, I hope um, as we go forward and we have these podcast kinds of discussions. It makes people aware of where we are, what we're doing, and how we can do it better. And that each of us as individuals need to stop and be much more respectful and contemplative about how we communicate and not just impulsively and without thought. What else should we know? Well, I guess the last thing I I might throw in here is uh, being a Christian counselor to me has been my bread and butter. Um, Most people are therapists and they have a specialty, whether it's addictions or depression or uh, obsessive compulsive or whatever. 
I consider myself a generalist, and I always have, which means I counsel almost every issue. Um, I chose to do that, and I get a lot more CEUs and have had to get a lot more education over the years because I wanted to be a good referral source for pastors and churches. And people who wanted a Christian licensed therapist. So sometimes the therapy always talks about their value system and their resources. And if one of their resources is their faith in God, then, you know, we bring up that issue. How does God want you to talk to your partner, to your children? And when people come in and they're swearing, I address that. I, I say, you know, that's fueling your anger. In here, can we learn to use different words, actual vocabulary words, because you're smart enough. We just got lazy. Hmm. So, you know, there's several Bible verses that I think address how we should talk to one another. Um, in Ephesians 4.15, speak the truth in love. Um, James 3.8, no man can tame the tongue. It is the restless evil, full of deadly poison. We're talking about uh, Satan there uh, ruling the tongue, and that's not good. Um, James 1.19, everyone should be quick to listen, slow to anger, for man's anger can't bring forth the righteous life God wants for us. And I think one of the, the best ones is in Colossians 3, 12 through 14. Clothe yourself in compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Bear with each other and forgive one another as God has forgiven you. So a big part of communication is forgiveness. Mm -hmm. And all those qualities that all come from Scripture. And to, to be reminded of that. Forgiveness of yourself and others. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. It's a good point. Mm -hmm. People have a harder time forgiving themselves yeah, than you, they do others. You talk about the tapes that run in your head. It's, uh, um, I, I've said to, to people before, oh, you say that about yourself. Would you ever say that to anyone else? Would you ever, <laughs> would you ever do <laughs> right. that to, well, no. Right. Okay, start there. You know, yeah, um, and and when we talk about that, it's surprising to me. The insight is, okay, I shouldn't be mean to myself because I'm not mean to others, but that often often isn't insightful for people. It's okay for them to be mean to themselves and not others, right. and that isn't godly. That isn't what God. So you know, we we kind of come back to that basis of of your faith because my faith. Um, informs actually my values. And if I say that's my faith and these are my values, I need to live by that. And my actions and my words need to demonstrate that. And then people are a little humbled and then a little more reflective about it. Mm. Um, so it's, it, it comes around, you know, how you speak to people and all those things that we, um, that embody our communication with one another are very important and noted by those who are listening. Yeah, that sounds pretty good to me. Okay. Well, thanks for this opportunity yeah. for yeah. me to, to talk to you a little bit about my field and my experience with, with folks and communicating. Yeah. Thank thanks, you. Karen. Mm -hmm. Yeah, appreciate it. So I was driving to work this morning and the news was on my radio. 
two people were yelling, they were screaming at each other, really, trying to win some kind of an argument. And I see this happening everywhere and about everything. In the process, no one hears each other. Everyone goes home frustrated. And in my opinion, we are wasting our time. Sometimes there are real issues, of course, that need to be addressed and changed. But at other times, it is a complete failure of communication. I see this same pattern replayed in homes and in churches and in workplaces, at schools. We are trying to communicate our thoughts, but look, we are consistently falling short. Karen was talking about the ancient words from the Bible, words that are thousands of years old. And they were talking about the issue of communication. Just think about that for a second. For thousands of years, we've been trying to figure out how to do the most basic human thing imaginable. Share our ideas, our thoughts, hopes, fears, and dreams. We've been trying for all of human history, and we still haven't gotten it right. So let's start by cutting ourselves a little bit slack here. It's okay if we struggle in this department. That only means that we're human. As Karen was talking, I was busted several times. I consistently fall short all over the place here. We probably all do. But now what? Can we try something? Do an experiment and make our communication a little bit more effective. Maybe it's listening more than speaking. Maybe it's practicing telling yourself positive, accurate, productive statements out loud every day for a month. Maybe it is committing to asking more questions, being curious, learning about the other person, putting yourselves in their shoes. Maybe it's a two-week trial run of shutting down devices and simply being in the same space with a loved one with fewer distractions. The struggle to communicate well is real and present and as old as humanity itself. Why not take a step toward clarity and stronger relationships and peace of mind? We don't have to solve it all, but maybe we can start with just one step. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Sandbox Cooperative Podcast. To stay up to date with all the things going on in the Sandbox, you can follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter, or sign up for our mailing list at sandboxcooperative.com. And we'd love to hear from you, so let us know what you think about the podcast, and if you'd like, rate and review us on iTunes. Join us in the conversation. Also, don't forget to track with us on the upcoming road trip. We'd love to hear from you while we are on the road and touring the southwestern United States. And as always, be sure to share this podcast with someone who might like it, because there is always more room in the sandbox. Until next time, we'll see you. Bye. Please watch your step as you exit the sandbox.